0: You are listening to The Last Aid Station on Mountain Bike Radio. But first, a message from our sponsor, Epic Rides.
1: Hi, this is Gerina Nash, a member of Luna Pro Team. I'm excited to raise the Grand Junction Off-Road this May 29th through 31st because Epic Rides Off-Road Series events do a great job of highlighting the gritty, soulful nature of cross-country mountain biking while providing participants with a high-quality mountain bike course. The Grand showcases trails in the Lunch Loop plus Twist and Shout, Butterknife, the Magellan Loop, and beyond. With an industry expo of over 40 vendors, three days of free live music headlined by Shaky Graves and huge crowds, the events are fun for both mountain bikers and non-cyclists too. Please join me at the start line in Grand Junction, Colorado, May 29th through 31st for an unparalleled gathering of the mountain bike community. Visit EpicRise.com for registration and complete event information. Now, enjoy the podcast on the Mountain Bike Radio.
0: And welcome to The Last Aid Station here on Mountain Bike Radio. I'm Mark, and welcome back if you're a returning listener. And welcome aboard if you're a first-time listener. We hope you like what you hear and keep joining us here on The Last Aid Station as we continue to be your best source of endurance off-road racing from dirt to gravel. If you're a race promoter and would like to have your race featured here on the Last Aid Station, get in touch with me here via email mark at mountainbikeradio.com and we can tell you how to make that happen. If you're a listener and have comments or perhaps even some tips on races we should be covering or racers we should be following, please also drop me a line and let me know. We love getting the emails from listeners to hear what you guys like about the show and also helping us make improvements on the show itself. Again, thank you very much for joining us here in this mid-May update of The Last Aid Station. And now, as always, let's start into a little bit of news for this episode. If you've been listening to The Last Aid Station here in recent months, you'll know about the unfortunate loss of A.J. Linnell due to a tragic aircraft accident back in April. The A.J. Linnell Trail Fund, a charity set up to celebrate the life of A.J. Linnell, a top competitor in the endurance mountain bike race game, is up and running through the community foundation of Teton Valley. The A.J. Linnell Memorial Trail Fund will support the construction and maintenance of biking and hiking trails in the Teton Valley, connect neighborhoods with the peaks and valleys that aj loved he was a cyclist educator city counselor mountain guide environmentalist aj envisioned a trail system that would provide easy access to the backcountry from downtown victor making the quiet and beauty of the wilderness available to all contributions are tax deductible and we will have links on the show notes page of this episode of The Last Aid Station on mountainbikeradio.com to direct you to that specific page for donations for those of you who would care to contribute. And wow, the weather has really continued to wreak havoc on the race schedule. Here we are in spring, nearly summer months, and we're still dealing with some really nasty stuff. Just in the days prior to recording this episode, I was still hearing of large snowfalls in Colorado and Utah, as well as the violent storm bands that have swept from Texas and then throughout the southeast and mid-Atlantic with tornadoes and torrential rains and damaging hail. Races we'd hoped to provide coverage for you on here included the 12 Hours of Mesa Verde, where heavy rain, mud, and weather canceled the race just after one lap or about 90 minutes into the race, when the promoters, at least in my eyes, did absolutely the right thing in stopping the race to preserve that trail system from the damage that could have occurred had they allowed that 12-hour race to continue. Now, just six days later, the Firebird 40 race was canceled due to wet trail conditions as well. We have been looking forward to providing you the race details on these events And we will be following those events again in future years as we hope the promoters and prospective racers have better luck with the weather. Additionally, you may have read or heard about or even heard the interview Ben did recently with the quote-unquote winner of Trans-Iowa. This year, only one person was able to even make it to the very first checkpoint just six or eight hours into that event. Weather has been a really, really big factor, and we look forward to getting past that and getting into the summer, into the heat of the summer, to at least make sure that we're getting to see who the best racers in the endurance world are. Continuing on with the news, I'm hoping you guys have heard the Epic Rides advertising that has been going on here on Mountain Bike Radio. We're actually going to report on the races of the Whiskey off-road weekend later on in this very podcast. But just announced for the Grand Junction off-road coming up in the very near future is an equal prize list for both men and women elite riders totaling over $30,000 with a huge international field already registered. Also upcoming on that same weekend as the Grand Junction Off-Road is the National Alternate Endurance Series Stop number 3 at the Mohican 100. I'll be on site reporting and highlighting the race for another standalone podcast in the days immediately following the event as we have already done with the first two stops of the NUE. That weekend for sure is packed full of racing with the Dirty Kansas 200 also being held that weekend and as well as the Transylvania Epic finishing up their stage race. Looks like the next last aid station will be a big one, and I'm going to need some help covering all the events as we really start to peek into the biggest parts of the season. An exciting tease and an announcement. Speaking of help, we here at the last aid station with Ben at Mountain Bike Radio have decided to change the format up just a little bit by adding a co-host for additional perspectives on races that I'm not super familiar with, but also to allow room for discussions, bantering, and more than a little bit of trivial, senseless jocularity. Uh, We have found the perfect co-host in our opinion, and we will announce that shortly, but I think all of you guys will be as excited for the small change in the show and for our selection in the co host Have no fear, the content will remain very much the same, and we think the potential for more regular episodes and even more coverage is in the cards for us here at The Last Aid Station. Hey guys, thank you very much again for joining me here on The Last Aid Station. Let's dive into the large number of highlights and race results we have to go over. Now with the UCI Marathon World Championships just a little over a month away, The UCI held their European Championships, always a great preview for those that will be the contenders at the Worlds later on this summer. Not a lot of experts were expecting this kind of scenario in the men's 100-kilometer race. The bunch was no more than 10 kilometers underway when Yaroslav Kohavi of Team Specialized Racing put the hammer down. In a muddy single-track section, the Czech took the lead and started putting in seconds to those behind him. His countrymate Christian Heinick of Topik ergon followed him and also, surprisingly, Germanese cyclocross and road specialist Sasha Weber of Team Orbea. The trio was able to leave the chasers behind, and their gap quickly grew out to a minute 30 within the next 15 kilometers. At the end of the first 49-kilometer lap, hynek got problems with his pedal. The European champion from 2012 stopped and tried to fix the problem, but he could not do it out on course. He then was forced to pedal to the tech zone and change the pedal out there, putting him off the podium for sure. Meanwhile, Kojavi was hammering the flat sections with his highest gear and Sasha Weber was content to remain on his wheel. They extended their gap up to over three minutes and stayed together until one kilometer to go. Kohavi continued to push the pace in the final kilometers, and as Weber began to experience severe cramps, he was no match for the acceleration that Kohavi put in into the final kilometer. With that, Yaroslav Kohavi becomes the European Marathon mountain bike champion for 2015. Behind them out of the chasing group, Alvin Lakata attacked with 8 kilometers to go, got away and was clear to claim the bronze medal and the third spot on the podium. Robert Menon was fourth, six seconds behind. On the women's side of the 2015 European Mountain Bike Marathon Championships, the 80-kilometer women's race developed much more like the men's race was initially expected to do. Eight ladies raced together for a very long time and then around the 55-kilometer mark, On a steep asphalt climb, the picture showed Esther Seuss, Sabine Spitz, and Yolanda Neff quite a bit stronger than the other two riding companions in their five-strong breakaway. Those weaker of the five, Sally Bingham and Gun Rita Dalflesia. The group was able to eventually come back together again, but this climb had already shown who the strongest riders were. The front three again accelerated and Gunrita dalflesia was not able to hold on to the wheel. Esther Seuss was not wanting to risk everything in the last kilometer. And Sally Bingham slowly dropped off the pace, leaving just Yolanda Neff and Sabine Spitz to race for the win. 200 meters before the finish line, Neff and Spitz were still together, but the 43-year-old German was a bit smarter. While the Swiss under-23 world champion in a corner used the asphalt, Spitz took the line over the green part and into the grass to take the decisive advantage. They came in on the same time, but Spitz was considered the European marathon champion. For Spitz, it was the second European title for her and her 12th medal overall in European championships. At the Skyway Epic, a growing race located in the Talladega National Forest and about 30 miles or so east of Birmingham, Alabama. I reported on this race last year, and this year the promoters have upped the ante, so to speak, creating a 100-mile race in addition to the 60-mile race it had held previously. The 60-mile race was held and well-attended, but other than a sparse results sheet, I could find no details on the race and so can't really report on how that racing went down. Though by looking at the results, it was definitely fast and furious, and it was won by Georgia Endurance Mountain Biking and Cross Racing Guru Shay Linder in just a little under four and a half hours. The race course for the 100 features a relatively rolling course, through the first 20 miles or so, but then the course jumps up to race along the ridge lines of the Skyway all the way into the town of Gunthers, Tennessee, before a short loop that has riders retracing many of the same climbs before dropping back down off the ridge for those same initial rollers and into the finish. Most of the feature climbs are 400 to 500 foot climbs, but have several steep pitches that certainly burn matches at race pace, as do the short, choppy climbs on the approach and through the middle portions of the course after the Gunther checkpoint. On hand to contest this year was Mr. Alabama Distance Brian Toon, who had ridden the two hours or so from home for additional training prior to the race and would do the same post-race while training for a solo crack at the Race Across America set for early summer. As the race got started, it was Todd Gerhardt and David Potter setting a very fast pace with only Brian Toon able to stay within striking distance as the group negotiated the early portions of single track. As the group entered the Jeep trails and fire service roads, it was all three riding as a group with obvious tensions as Gerhardt and Potter continued to push the pace on the steep rollers, Prior to the first big climbs of the day, onto the climbs up the ridge to the top of the skyway, and Toon was seen pushing the pace on the climb, toiling a bit, but causing some damage behind, with Gerhardt falling off the pace by the top. The duo of Toon and Potter stayed together, riding within seconds of each other along the ridge line, before bombing off the top and into the checkpoint out onto the Adams Gap Loop, and Toon would later relate to beginning to feel the effects of the heat as the temperatures climbed to near 90, and the uncovered climbs left no respite from the direct sun. Thirty miles later, they arrived back at the same checkpoint, but likely a bit more tuckered and dehydrated after over two hours with no aid stations. Back up and over the big climbs along the Skyway and on Horn Mountain, Potter began to pull away from Toon, gaining in a very small gap by the top, across the undulating ridgeline, and then through the big descent off the mountain. Potter grew his lead out to nearly eight minutes, and then gained an additional three minutes in the final sections of double track and single track that led to the finish. At the line, it was David Potter of Infinity Cycling winning the Skyway Epic 100 in eight hours and eight minutes, with Brian Toon finishing just 11 minutes later. Behind her top two, Eric Nelson of Indian Cycle had caught a fading Todd Gerhardt on the return leg for third, with Gerhardt holding on to four by just minutes over Darby Benson in fifth. In the Women's Open, a very tight race throughout the day, with Rachel Millsop edging out Heather Nelson by just seven minutes after 10 and a half hours of racing. Now heading over to Kansas at the Gravel Years raid held in Lawrence, Kansas across mostly rolling hills, a race that many local contenders for Dirty Kansas uses a measuring stick, both for their own levels of fitness and testing, as well as against those they will likely face off against come the first weekend in June. 100 miles of mixed pavement and gravel on very similar terrain to the Kansas course. But existing at only about half the distance. 7,000 feet of climbing all served up in 100 to 250 foot increments. On hand was defending Dirty Kansas winner and current Kansas record holder, Brian Jensen. Jensen, as you may recall, completely decimated the Kansas course last year, right down to the slate and shale rolling hills. Races were greeted at the pre race meeting outside the start-finish line at Johnny's Tavern with torrential downfours which had been dousing the course overnight. Course promoters delayed the start so that some of the cells, which had been featuring some lightning and hail in the neighboring areas, could clear the areas out on the race course. Racers and promoters were unsure how the overnight rains would firm up the gravel and dirt roads or completely turn them into a slogging mess. Behind the storm, as it cleared, gusty winds reaching 30 miles per hour could be felt and caused a few early race incidents until the 170 riders' strong group could stretch out into smaller pace lines. Notable names on the start list including Jensen, multi-time Kansas winner Dan Hughes, legendary elite road and cyclocross rider Steve Tilford, as well as a huge host of regional road and cross stars from the surrounding areas in both the men's and women's open fields. In the men's race, it was nearly over before it started. With the large pack heading out of Lawrence and over a long levee, out onto the course proper, a short steep climb up from the river and out onto the hills saw Brian Jensen rolling up it quickly, not attacking, but rolling it up faster than anyone else in the field, and his teammate Tilford quickly took the initiative to jump across the gap to make the leader a duo group of two team riders. Racers attempting to bridge over to that lead, too, quickly found that the answer to the gravel question was the rain had made the course more than just a little bit soft and driving across what seemed like a short bridging distance was made increasingly longer and harder due to the gusting yaw winds that could only get worse as they would continue to be headwinds in the second half of the day after the riders headed for home near the 50-mile mark. Riders were soon in the gutter and in loose echelons with riders constantly looking for the sweet spots in the field so they wouldn't have to take their time at the front. Tilford and Jensen rolled on with Jensen leading most of the time, and Tilford working his way through to give Jensen an occasional break. Tilford would later relate to having a normalized power of over 330 watts at the halfway point, admitted the workload had not been shared with him having Jensen's back wheel in his sight far more than Jensen had seen his. Through the halfway point, the leading duo had over 20 minutes on the chasers and were looking far more fluid and loose as they made that turn. In the second half, those front two kept rolling, putting minutes into the field behind despite a mocking headwind. Crossing the levee with five miles left to ride, a very short conversation was had between Tilford and Jensen, resulting in Tilford affirming that he wouldn't challenge for the win. Tilford would later relate that it was Jensen's birthday and he was racing in his hometown. Behind the front two, Dan Hughes had been left behind by some very fast-moving road racers, but had begun picking them off now, one by one, as they faded in the vicious headwinds. He eventually was able to grab the group that would roll in together to determine the final spot on the podium. Showing he has more than his, in his legs than just diesel training, Dan Hughes takes the sprint from former Collegiate National Criterium champion Mark Smelzer. Top three men's podium was Brian Jensen and Steve Tilford of Erickson Cycles Factory Racing Team in first and second in five hours and 12 minutes, with Dan Hughes in third nearly one hour later. In the women's race of the Gravel year, as the mass start races go, it is often a question of who is able to jump into the right fast-moving pack that excludes their competitors and put some ground between themselves and the competition, as it is levels of fitness. That's exactly what happened with some risk of regrouping in the early portions of the race through the 30-mile mark. Karen Pritchard was just within minutes of the chasing group that included Jennifer Barr and Shelby Stoke behind her. But as the miles piled on, so did the minutes into the gap, and through the halfway point that turns the groups back into the headwind for the final 50 miles, the gap had grown to over 35 minutes. On the return leg, with many in the group now sorted to strongest groups up front and the less strong groups in the back, the strongest groups made those miles tick by much quicker into that nasty headwind, with now the team's having to battle with crosswinds and Karen Pritchard convincingly wins in 7 hours 21 minutes with Jennifer Barr and Shelby Stoke finishing in second and third respectively nearly 1 hour and 20 minutes further down. USA Cycling Marathon Nationals held this year just outside of Augusta, Georgia, a complete shift away from the traditional mountainous and or high-altitude venues that have hosted it in recent years. This year, the race course would be one continuous circuit consisting of two separate loops. The course was relatively flat, very fast, but required plenty of short power efforts on some steep slopes as well as handling skills due to the faster-than-normal trail speeds on the winding course. The first loop on the circuit was on the Bartram Trail, consisting of fast and relatively flowy single track with some flat and banked corners. The second loop was quite a bit more rugged, utilizing creek crossings, fire roads, double track climbs, and quite a bit more elevation gain in comparison to the first loop. The second loop was, as some people had placed it, a little bit more old school than the first loop. 31 elite and pro men lined up for this national championship. Some of the usual suspects in attendance included Jeremiah Bishop, Todd Wells, Justin Lindeen. Though conspicuously absent were racers making a mark this year in the longer distances, like Howard Grotz, Keegan Swenson, Jordan Wakeley, Brian Matter, and Ben Zontag. But plying their trade against the Top pros were upstart youngsters like Luke Vroenvelder, Brian Lewis, Byron Rice, Payson McElveen, Jerry Dufour, Cole Oberman, and Andrew Dillman. Right from the start, it was game on, with fast and furious pedaling requiring quick reactions to the twisty course. Due to the hundreds of turns, gaps were made simply from riders overshooting or bobbling in sections and losing the benefit of following the riders directly in front of them. The first lose caused a few separations in the field, but not one big enough to make any kind of determination into a possible winner with nearly 15 riders all crossing under the start-finish banner before heading out onto the more difficult second loop with his fire road climbs and much more old-school single-track trails. That front group included Jeremiah Bishop, Keck Baker, Andrew Dillman, Brian Lewis, Tristan Cowie, Todd Wells, Justin Lindeen, Tristan Yule, and a few others. Out onto the second loop and into the initial parts of the single track with Bishop leading and bobbling in the slop out of the creek, causing a domino effect of dismounting riders, which allowed Bishop to get a jump up the short climb with Wells quickly joining him. Behind, Brian Lewis was chasing hard, teamed up, and wheel-to-wheel with Keck Baker, who eventually used the twisty single track of the second loop to pull away and disappear, while Lewis began having some small hydration issues due to a bobbled feed zone or two and an incident out on course causing a drop bottle. Eventually, a group containing Dillman, Cowie, and Ewell caught Lewis and worked together in an effort to bring back Baker, who on all accounts was flying up the trail toward Wells and Bishop, who had now spotted Baker and were surging to protect their duo lead, as they both felt that Baker was catching them at a rate that was more than a little uncomfortable. Wells made a mistake in a ravine and went down, allowing Bishop to squirt on up the trail. Then Bishop went down in a high-speed turn just as Wells made contact, giving the advantage to Wells, who was able to get up and remount first. From there, Wells was alone, running scared in the final 10 miles of the course, with Baker now chasing Bishop and Bishop searching out Wells. But at the line, after a nearly three-mile run of dirt road back into the main venue area, Ides Todd Wells takes his fourth marathon national championship in a time of four hours and five minutes. Topeak Ergon's Jeremiah Bishop is in for second, just one minute and 20 down, and champion systems Cannondale, Keck Baker, having one hell of a season this year, in for third, just a further two minutes back. Fourth place goes to Andrew Dillman of Team Think Green with fifth place in the pro elite men, going to Tristan Cowie out of Brevard, North Carolina. In the single-speed open men's race, a smallish field represented by some very Talented athletes, including national single speed champion for traditional cross country, as well as the NUE Series single speed winner, Gordon Wadsworth. He was joined on the start line by Mike Maltabano, Travis Bean, Ron Harding, and Igor Danko, plus several unknowns all looking for a Stars and Stripes jersey. The field of only 13 riders headed out onto the first loop and out of onto the trails and back through the start-finish line came a group of three that likely could have been predicted by anyone familiar with single-speed racing. Gordon Wadsworth, Ron Harding, and Mike Maltabano. Out onto the more climby and punchy second loop, and Wadsworth hit the gas more than a few times that had Maltabano eventually... ...falling off the pace. Halfway through the last loop, across one of the notorious slick creek crossings, he got a gap, charging up and out onto the steep bank, and put in a strong effort that put Ron Harding searching for a different gear. Gordon Wadsworth would roll on solo, eventually building the time gap to over four minutes in the final 15 miles... Gordon Wadsworth of Blue Ridge Cyclery earns a second national championship, this time in the marathon discipline, for single-speed racing, winning on the nearly 100-kilometer course in 4 hours and 28 minutes. Ron Harding finishes 4 minutes down, and third place would go to Toasted Head Racing's Mike Maltabano, 18 minutes further back of Wadsworth, with Igor Danko and Lorne Johnson completing the single-speed top-five podium at the USAC Marathon Mountain Bike National Championships. In the small but talent heavy women's open and pro elite field, the race got started quickly, with three women moving off the front as soon as the riding got into the single track. Those three included Cheryl Sorensen, Allie Stocker, and Rose Grant. The triple threat up front were flying, leaving nothing but debris in their wake. And the growing time gap back to the chasers. On a long, shallow gravel climb, all three were seen attacking each other as if it were a road race, sparring and countering, before Stalker was able to put in a definitive move, gaining precious seconds as the group hit the single track again. Stalker would lead before crashing in an off-camber turn, allowing the two behind to catch and then pass her. Stalker wasn't done, quickly bridging back and then crashing again. The duo had seen enough of Stalker's resurgence abilities and stormed off down the trail. Stalker would not be able to bridge back as the race entered the final miles and she began worrying about the chance of losing the podium place and the fourth-place rider she could see catching her from behind. Back up front in the closing single track, Grant was able to establish a small gap that put the rider separated by less than 30 seconds as the two hit the final three-mile dirt run into the finish, but despite the power Cheryl Sorensen is known for, Stan's No Tubes rider Rose Grant powers down the dirt road like a well-oiled machine to take the win in four hours, forty-five minutes, and thirty-one seconds. With Cheryl Sorensen of Rare Disease Cycling just thirty seconds back for second, and Ally Stalker of Ally's Bars holding on for third, four minutes back. Fourth place. And fifth place went to Serena Gordon and Kathleen Harding, respectively, for your Women's Elite Top 5 podium. And now for something completely different, at least as far as results go, the Pisgah Mountain Bike Adventure Race. Now, I remember reporting on this event last year and hoping that I could explain the premise behind the race well enough that it wouldn't take a member of the Illuminati, a mathematical savant, and or an interpreter to understand it. But here goes. This is not your normal mountain bike race. And really, you need to think of it more as an adventure race or a checkpoint race versus something much more traditional. The race is done in duo format, i.e. teams of two race and finish together. A list of checkpoints is given to the riders immediately prior to the start, a list that is kept secret until then. The checkpoints can be any number, with some being mandatory checkpoints that all riders must reach, and some being optional in that they are checkpoints that can be considered if time allows, and some be having bonuses that can gain riders' time deducted from their final times. The evil mastermind of this race, held annually in the Pisgah National Forest, In western North Carolina is Eric Weber, who continually tweaks the rules and the requirements, including mandatory equipment that must be carried by all riders. He told me he never gets tired of seeing the outcomes of the race and how predicted behaviors and routes by riders never seem to work out as planned or as predicted by both himself and by the riders in the race. This year, he threw a monkey wrench into the race by having no mandatory checkpoints, but listing five checkpoints of which all racers had to reach four to be considered finishers. But reaching all five would net a two-hour bonus subtracted from your time. Strategy, fitness, luck, and a decent knowledge of the trail system in the Pisgah National Forest all benefit potential competitors. Rider teams were given their passport book to be stamped at the checkpoints and set loose onto the trails at 8.15 a.m. It would be nearly seven hours later when the first team to reach four checkpoints came racing back into the finish line gambling that no one finishing with all five checkpoints in the next two hours and deducting the two-hour bonus would finish. That team of Thomas Turner and Barnabas Freustad certainly are fast enough and fit enough to pull this off, and they seem confident enough as they relax at the finish line for well over an hour and 15 minutes. But it was at an hour and 16 minutes that the team of Sam Evans and Dave Wood came barnstorming back into the finish line, having gained all five checkpoints and thereby beating Turner and Freistead's time by 45 minutes after the time deduction. Remarkably, a second team of riders in the form of Sam Carber and Jacob McGahee would finish just over a minute later to claim second place. As close as that race was, almost unbelievably, with all the choices of trail in the Pisgah National Forest, the top two teams chose the same checkpoint route, but in opposite directions. Neither chose the shortest route, but did choose the routes based on maintaining speed and decreasing risk. Finishing fourth overall and the highest finish by a woman racer in the history of the event, the co-ed team of Nina Otter and Matt Williams gained all five checkpoints and narrowly missed the podium by just 15 minutes after subtracting their time. Unbelievable performance by those two as they really put the heat on the top of three teams. Eric Wever always puts on a unique spin on his races and judging by other races in the area, now doing somewhat similar type events, he may be onto something for those looking for something more than a little different than a point to point marathon back country race. Now heading from the East coast in North Carolina, all the way, almost all the way to the West coast in Prescott, Arizona, the Whiskey Off-Road, one of the richest weekends of racing in North American mountain biking. It combines a unique two-race format for the pro-elite riders, requiring riders to race a Friday evening road criterium on the same mountain bikes those racers will race on Sunday. With the only change being allowed is for a change of tires, though the tires must remain at least 1.5 inches wide or 38 millimeters the placings of the Friday evening criterium would create a seating order for the main event on Sunday. Riders must participate in the Friday evening criterium or suffer an eight-minute time penalty at the start of the off-road. And that time penalty is not added to your finish time, but actually forces riders to wait on the start line for eight minutes after the race has begun. Sandwiched between the two days of elite racing, Saturday provides racing for amateurs of all levels in several different race distances on the same course the pros will use on Sunday. The starting roster was more than an impressive with a mix of pro and elite riders from both the endurance world and traditional cross country world, and from both international and national level competitors invading the town of Prescott for a rich day of racing. On hand, Chloe Woodruff, Todd Wells, Georgia Gould, Derek Zanstra, Barry Wicks, Carrie Werner, Ben Zontag, Fernando Paez, Christoph Saucer, Rose Grant, Katerina Nash, a huge list I could read for the next five minutes of famous and identifiable mountain bike talent. At the Whiskey Criterium, the Criterium course consisted of nearly a one-mile-long lap with the infamous stair-step climb that climbs up approximately 140 feet just after the start line of the course before dropping down into the Main Street area of town and a couple turns later back to the start-finish line. Super fast course that punishes riders with the same steep chunker of a climb every lap or about every two minutes. The men's race would be 20 minutes plus three laps long, and within the opening laps of the race, just five minutes in, a group had separated themselves from the front, with that group being Mensa De Jong of Cliff Bar Racing, Todd Wells and Sam Gaves of Specialized, and Scott Racing's Derek Zanstra. The leaders looked strong heading over the climb with riders fast, but not rushed in comparison to the chasing field, which hit the climb like a field sprint every lap, with riders spread out curb to curb, going over the top. With three laps to go, the group up front had been caught, and those four settled back into the front of the field that had now been whittled down to a group numbering more in the teens, with other stragglers strewn around the course or pulled from the race by officials after being lapped. Coming down to the sprint, Sam Gaze was seen jetting through the final corner and crossing the line in front to take the win with his former breakaway companion, Derek Zanstra, right on his heels for second. Christoph Saucer showing a powerful sprint for third to the retiring mountain bike legend. And so the seating order was set for the start of the Whiskey 50 off-road just two days later. In the women's fat tire criterium, it was Rose Grant pushing the pace early, riding at the front for much of the climb and through the flatter sections of the course. This aggressive riding early in the short criterium by the stands no Tubes rider quickly put gaps into the field, separating a group of 10 or so riders being the only ones in contention early on. Near midway, as Grant moved back to recover from the early efforts, it was Woodruff and Gould moving to the front, often riding side-by-side side on the climb and keeping the pace high as riders began dropping off the pace and then the separation occurred, with a powerful Gould and Woodruff trading turns to move strongly ahead of a small chase group in which not all were working to contribute to bring back the two, either due to teammates or perhaps due to fitness. Gould's teammate Magalie Rogette took advantage of a lull and jumped up the climb to nearly make contact with the front two but backed off when she realized she had brought katarina nash with her always a formidable competitor in these shorter criterium like races grant now after attempting to bridge was caught in no man's land between the gould woodruff group and the nash rochette duo at the line with No Tubes Woodruff outsprinting her breakaway companion, Luna Rider Gould, Rochette and Nash would power past a fading Grant in the final laps to go three and four for Luna. Show airs Larissa Connors would also pass Grant in the final lap to take the final podium spot, completing the seating for the starting grid for Sunday's 50 mile main event. In the men's race on Sunday, Rain had continued overnight and in the early morning hours caused very messy conditions on much of the double track and dirt roads, more so than on the single track portions of the course. A large pack of nearly 80 riders started the day running out of downtown Prescott to huge fanfare and festive crowds that showed why this race is both a fan and racer favorite. On the early pavement climb from the start that initiated the course, Raleigh-Clement rider Jamie Driscoll was not going to let the pack idly ride that first climb and decided to make his move when no one thought others would. He quickly opened up a nearly one-minute lead on the climb, which seemed unrelenting for the nearly five miles of sloping pavement. Behind him, as the group entered the fire road access to the trail system, it was noted Keegan Swenson was leading the charge and had been in the latter portions of the climb, followed closely by Derek Zanstra, Christoph Soster, last year's Grand Junction winner, Fernando Paez, and Todd Wells, and then the rest of the men's elite field, which had split up a little bit on the climb, but not as much as many thought it would. Through a checkpoint just over 10 miles into the race, and the field had shattered with the long trail of riders that had originally entered the off-road portions of the course, now in small groups of no more than four to six riders. Todd Wells had moved to the front and was now leading the charge after catching a fading Driscoll during the climb over the gap. But missing from that group was multi-time world champion Souser, who had suffered two flaps in the first 10 miles of the course and came through the first checkpoint nearly three minutes down and in 25th place, having only been saved from a larger deficit by accepting a wheel swap from his teammate that got him rolling again much more quickly. Salzer, however, despite being in poor placing, was viewed by spectators as seemingly on a mission and moving much faster than those around him, as he attempted to make up lost time and get back into the mix up front. The climbing continued up and over the gap Pass before the long descent into the notorious Skull Valley, which in years past had been the demise of many racers' dreams due to its unrelenting heat and dusty conditions to the turnaround point, then back up the exact hill they had just descended. Through the turnaround point in Skull Valley, and riders began the long climb back up to the ridgeline. In the lead group now, from the bottom, it was Howard Grotz, Souser, now back at the front after a ridiculously heroic chase. Swenson, Wells, and Paez. Midway up the climb, and the action started with a fury. Grotz, with one quick look around at the group, stood on the pedals, and was gone, quickly turning over the pedals and establishing a gap that likely only a fresh salser could have chased down. But Susie was in no condition now to chase. As the course crested the ridgetop, Graz had gained nearly a minute on the lead-chasing companions and began the final long descent back into Prescott from the final rip through the city streets. Behind him, the group had exploded, seemingly with all the riders cresting by themselves, with first Zanstra, then Swenson and Paez, and then Zauser, now pedaling squares. Even further back was Wells, who had been joined by Ben Zontag near the top of the climb. Wells began to feel better and dropped off the climb like an anvil from a helicopter, making up time to the leaders and dropping Zontag on the fast, rocky descent. Then he flatted within sight of Zauser, who had also flatted just several hundred meters up the trail. Up front, Specialized Howard Grotz would take the win with a very impressive nearly two-minute gap back to Scott Factory team rider Derek Zanstra and a further two minutes back to Keegan Swenson of Show Air Cannondale. Completing the top five was Paez of Raleigh Clement and Christoph Sauzer of Specialized. Wells would finish in seventh place rolling across the line with a soft rear tire and a completely flat front tire barely hanging on the rim. Gratz' winning time was an impressive three hours, four minutes especially given the conditions on the day. In the women's Whiskey 50 off-road race, all eyes were on Chloe Woodruff, who had won multiple titles in the Epic Ride series and had already shown her form in the Criterium two days earlier by winning it. A paved road climb for the women, and it was apparent the women's field, much smaller than the men's field, had a much tighter grouping after that five-mile pavement section as the race turned onto the double track that led to the trails a league group forming consisting of Woodruff, Katarina Nash, Georgia Gould, and Rose Grant, with several women moving well on course just behind them. Woodruff would later relate to wanting to keep the pace high and led through the first third of the course. She did just that, smoothly onto the single track, bombing the descents and upping the pace on the double track climbs to prevent passing so that she could continue to force others into her pace. As the groups began the final climb up and over the Gap Pass Trail just prior to the descent into Skull Valley, it was noted to be a lead group of now just three, Nash, Gould, and Woodruff, three of the best women riders in the world. But Grant wasn't allowing them far, chasing over the top of the climb just 30 seconds down. Rose Grant, likely taking a few risks on the early part of the descent, quickly caught on to the group just as the group hit the steeper sections of the loose scree line descent. Through aid number two, located at the turnaround point in Skull Valley, and the group was headed back up the 11-mile climb they had just descended as a tight group of four now. As the climb started, first as a gradual three to four degree slope, then hitting some stiff climbing sectors through the midpoints of the climb, Nash began to suffer and drop off the back of the group but remained in sight. It would be found out later that Nash had been feeling the effects of a severe cold since after the sea otter race a week prior. Woodruff put in a couple harder efforts to test her legs as well as those of the others around her and was pleased to find herself still feeling strong despite leading the group into a headwind that was often straight into their faces during that long climb. As the group peeked out onto the top of the climb and despite those efforts of Woodruff through the midpoint to fatigue her competitor's legs, it was Rose Grant, the one with the hardtail, pushing the pace and finishing the climb with a big effort over the top to start the descent out in front. A tactical move, perhaps, forcing the full suspension riders behind her and hope to hold on to them in the single track over the top of the ridge to start a descent with some technical descents in it? More than just a little bit likely. Into the single track and Woodruff had forced her way back to the front with Gould right on her wheel. Down the long descent, four riders still together, but Gould obviously marking only Woodruff by following her lines exactly and staying within one to three seconds. One final short dig of a climb, the notorious cramp hill where Gould moved around Woodruff aggressively and threw down an attack and Woodruff chose to stay steady with an increased tempo that kept the move in check but also didn't burn a match she would need later for a sprint that she was expected to perform at the line. At the top of the short hill, Woodruff was down by less than 10 seconds as the two now separated from the others by two minutes or more continued their descent. Woodruff would sprint into the last little bit of single track, trying to ride the corners as aggressively as possible before popping out onto the pavement for the final run into town. She finally had a chance to look behind for a surging gould, but found instead open and empty pavement. Chloe Woodruff of Stan's No-Tubes wins the Whiskey 50 in just over three hours and 47 minutes with Luna Orbea rider Gould, who had suffered a mechanical in the latter portions of the final descent, holding on for second just 13 seconds later. Woodruff's No-Tubes teammate Rose Grant would bring in third less than a minute down on the winner, and completing your women's podium for fourth was Luna Orbea's Katarina Nash, followed by fifth-place show Air Cannondale's Larissa Connors. And so that about wraps up this episode of The Last Aid Station here on Mountain Bike Radio, this mid-May 2015 episode. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm having a blast getting you all the information I can find about the endurance off-road racing scene. We have some big shows coming up in the very near future. I will be at the Mohican 100 coming up in the next seven or eight days or so. I'll be racing If you happen to see me up there, feel free to grab hold of me. Talk to me about racing and endurance racing and the last aid station podcasts or whatever. I love talking to listeners. I love getting your feedback and I love talking about the sport we all love. Um, also if you have any, um, Questions or concerns, drop me a line at mark at mountainbikeradio.com. Any tips you may have for races we should be following, or any racers you would like to hear interviews with. Um, And again, not only do we have this standalone podcast of the Mohican 100 coming up in the very near future, we also have a big podcast that's going to be coming up with the results of the. Transylvania Epic and Dirty Kanza and the Grand Junction Off-Road, as well as a host of other races that are already going on or have just recently gone on that I just couldn't fit into this podcast. So until then, take care, stay safe, ride some dirt, and I'll see you at the races. Take care.